Welcome in to 2 for 1 Drafts. Austin Gale here with Mike Renner, ready to rock and roll on a lovely Wednesday morning here in Cincinnati. We got off-ball linebacker takes for you here on the 2 for 1 Drafts podcast this edition. We got 12 off-ball linebackers in our current top 50 and another 12 off-ball linebackers in the PFF 2020 NFL Draft Guide 24 150. Said yeah. 12 in the top 50. Oh, sorry. 12 in the top 150. Yeah. I thought I said there that. You go. 12 in the top 150. Another 12 in the 2020 NFL Draft Guide, which is made available to all Edge and Elite subscribers. Very excited about that. Definitely encourage you to grab your copy. But this is a sneaky good off-ball linebacker class, and I think the Combine proved that. I think going in, I wasn't high on it. I think we had Troy Dye as our number two off-ball linebacker, and even he had some limitations. But Patrick Queen, Kenneth Murray definitely stepped up. I think there's some an interesting day two option in Willie Gay Jr., who kind of lit the combine literally on fire. Uh, uh, no, not literally, but yeah. Okay, no, not literally. Okay, you can't really bring that up with Willie Gay. I was going to say, yeah, of <laughs> him of all people, he could. All right, but also I think Malik Harrison tested better than people expected. I, I think there's a lot of a lot to like in this linebacker group, and I think to, 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 to start with these off-ball linebackers, to start with these off-ball linebackers, I want to bring up kind of your overall evaluation of this of off-ball linebackers right now because I think it is a difficult position to evaluate in today's NFL. It's also a position that's drastically changing. It's low on the positional value chart. Absolutely. Give me your take overall on what you're looking for in a good off-ball linebacker at the next level. I will say this class has very much grown on me. The more I've watched it, the more I've watched some of these guys and what they bring to the table. And obviously the combine, I think, showed that with how athletic uh, a lot of the top of the class is. And I think that's uh, – I was actually asked on a podcast yesterday which position has uh, scouted has been scouted differently over the past you know decade or whatever. And I think linebacker has, has very much changed. What you expect out of your linebacker, what, it, what you need them to be able to do in the NFL has completely changed in the past 10 years. And, and it's because of what offenses are doing now. Yep. The rise in three wide receiver sets becoming base personnel – Meaning you have to be able to match trips and you have to be able to match quads, uh, you know, with uh, with your base personnel sometimes with your nickel defense means that these linebackers have to be not just between the tackles players, but they have to be able to cover the slot. If they get matched up with a wide receiver one on one or running back split into the yeah, slot. Yeah, like that. You can't have that be a mismatch. You can't you have to be able to have an answer for everything the offense is going to possibly throw at you without you know, completely subbing and, you know, taking a guy off the football field. So the guys that have that ability that can, you know, kick out to the slot and not look out of place, uh, can play in space, can execute a different coverage role than just spot dropping. Those are the guys actually adding value in today's NFL, not the guys who are downhill thumpers. There's room for that still Mm -hmm. in certain schemes. You can still have that guy in your defense, but versatility is at an all time high at the position. So that's what, You'll see in our draft board. I'm going to add that a little bit. I I, I think speed, athleticism, and versatility has become so much more important for the off-ball linebacker position over the past five years. I think speed, athleticism, and versatility. And for that reason... You literally just repeated what I said. Well, I think I wanted to sum it up. (laughs) I wanted to sum it up there. Thank you. But I think with that being said... Weight is not as important. You can you can be a 225-pound linebacker, 230-pound off-ball linebacker in the NFL and have success. And I think... That's what we're seeing with these guys. I think we no longer want thumper mentality, these tough guys who like wear neck rolls. Like That's not a necessity anymore. What you need to do is be able to, like you said, cover the slot, cover running backs in coverage, and do different things in coverage. Explosiveness is more important than purely weight. Like the ability, like you can take on blocks if you're 220, but explosive. Yeah. And so I think the, the guys who were coming in the league a decade ago, 
at around 225 and playing strong safety are now linebackers. Cam Chancellor comes into the league now, he's a linebacker. He's not safety. Yeah. You're not thinking about playing that guy deep. You're playing him around the line of scrimmage. He's you know going to be considered a linebacker. So that's where I, that that to me has been one of the things we didn't. We were kind of behind the curve on to be honest at PFF in terms of realizing. If you bring up the Deion Jones, and yeah, yeah, Deion so Jones, saying, the Deion Jones like not realizing that hey, this is a coverage position. Uh, some NFL teams were very much ahead of the curve. We were behind the curve. On for that, for those who don't know, who haven't followed PFF for a while or listened to the previous podcast, Deion Jones, I think, was, what, 250 yes. on our draft board coming out in that draft class? And obviously, <laughs> he's become so much of a better player. Came in at 219 pounds or somewhere in that. Thought he was undersized, whatever it may be. Can't play the run at the next level. But he's obviously right. developed into kind of this new age, modern off-ball linebacker. When healthy, I'd argue one of the best off-ball linebackers in the NFL right now. All right, let's dive into this 2020 class. So a lot of names to bring up. Like we said 24 total off-ball linebackers in PFS 2020 NFL draft guide available to edge and elite subscribers but Isaiah Simmons the top guy here Clemson off-ball linebacker safety defensive playmaker whatever you want to call him he's the top linebacker in this class it's not even close I don't think there's much more we can really say about this guy everyone knows this guy's the real deal yeah when you summed up my point of versatility uh, athleticism whatever the last point was I forget that's Simmons. I mean, that is that is who he is. I mean, that's what he's been at Clemson. That's what he's, you know, what they asked him to do there, and he executed it at a at a very high level, elite coverage grades the past two seasons. So, yeah, I think you saw the freak athleticism at the combine, and again, a lot of guys, a lot of guys are freak athletes. Not a lot of guys it translates to the football field the way it does and has already for Isaiah Simmons. So, to me, he's in that Derwin James tier uh, of defender where it just. I, I I don't know if Swiss Army Knife's quite the right term. Uh, that, that's more like, I feel like that's more for like safeties who can do it all. This guy's uh, the modern, the prototype. I think mm-hmm. prototype is the best. He, he is what you want at the defensive to match up with modern offenses in today's NFL. I would agree 100%. Isaiah Simmons this past year earned an 88.5 overall grade, the seventh ranked figure among off-ball linebackers. And he also earned an 88.9 overall grade in 2018, all while playing over 750 defensive snaps both years. I think that's good production, good sample size, six foot four, 230 pounds. I mean, this guy brings everything you want to the table, tested very well. I think you've said it. I think you sum him up best. He's the perfect addition to a defense for the modern NFL defense to defend Defend modern offenses and, and Clemson used and to their credit utilized him in a role like that to where like it helps you disguise and, and like I said match up with motions and things like that where he would go from covering the slot to then motioning inside uh, and the uh, receiver motions across formation he comes inside and plays linebacker and there's no you've not you know jeopardized the sort of you haven't had to change coverage call you haven't had to really do anything uh, you know to your defense so he is that's what he brings to the table, and it's, it's a special skill set. Right now, Isaiah Simmons is the seventh-ranked overall player on PFF's big board, the linebacker one in this class. At 40, the 40th best player in the class is Patrick Queen of LSU. He's jumped up quite a bit in this pre-draft process, had a good combine, earned a 74.6 overall grade across 780 defensive snaps this past year. Brings range, quickness. I, I think he's aggressive in the box. Patrick Queen really blew up against Clemson in, mm-hmm. that, in that championship game. I think there's a lot to like about this kid as well yeah six stops in the national championship game and a lot of them you know if he doesn't make the stop they're big plays like his tackling you know travis Etienne in space the way he did is difficult it's not just 
while we don't give extra credit for that in the grading system, the fact that you're going up against probably the most dynamic running back in the country from a scouting perspective, I can say, Hey, that was a way better play than the plus one. We just gave him. That's, you know, it's a plus two. That's a play that just other linebackers aren't yeah. making. And I think you saw that from queen fairly regularly. And it was a guy who we were low on because I mean, he didn't even start at the beginning of the year and we, tr- we trust sort of grading and sample sizes. So if you look good and it's, yeah, it's been like five or six games we're going to wait till, you know, Michael Divinity started over him. Correct. Exactly. Michael Divinity was starting over him until he left the team there at LSU. So it wasn't even a starter at the beginning of the year, but then down the stretch, how much he developed. And again, like I said, the national championship game was just excellent football. Uh, Still not going to be your quintessential, you know, not going to be a great run defender more in the Deion Jones mold of he'll make plays on wide runs between tackles. Yeah. Might not be there, but he does have the explosiveness. Uh, He's not going to be a liability in that regard. And he's not even 21 years old yet. So this is not a guy who's, a finished product by any means, the arrow is pointing upward. So right now, 40th ranked on PFF's board. This guy is viewed largely as a first-round prospect by many. Where are you right now? Why are you not putting him into that first-round conversation? <sighs> That's a good question. I mean, he's probably like a late first round, to be honest, for me, because I think it's deep. I think it's deep class. Like, there's a lot of guys who, uh, you know, maybe aren't in our top 32 who I still would not hate taking in the first round. And, and he's probably one of them at 40. All right, let's move to Kenneth Murray, the Oklahoma off-ball linebacker who's 43rd ranked on PFF's board, the linebacker three in this class. Another guy that's rise, or risen a ton mm, in this he process. <laughs> he has risen. Kenneth Murray, a 68.3 overall grade in 2019 across 820, 829 defensive snaps. Not, not the grading profile that we like from him. I think you have concerns about his instincts, specifically dropping into coverage, turning his back to the line of scrimmage. I think that's where he kind of gets lost in the sauce. So that's the thing. It's like he doesn't in that Oklahoma defense, he wasn't he wasn't turning and running with guys. He is you know dropping to a spot and then he's playing only forward. Mm-hmm. And that's just that's that's a small part of where you're going to see in the NFL. And NFL offenses like depending on, they're going to turn you around. Yeah, they're gonna, you're <laughs> going to have to follow the tight end up the seam. You're going to have to do things like that. And he just wasn't asked to in Oklahoma in their defense. So it's just a different role that he might play in the NFL. Now there there are defenses that that is a role like he might just do that. Um, and, you know, Green Bay has been a, a popular sort of uh, mock draft spot for him. And, and that's what Blake Martinez basically did in their defense this past year with as much man coverage as they played. He's just that whole player looking to or either picking up running backs out of the backfield and always coming forward. And with Kenneth Murray, that's what he does. Best. Nothing wrong with being a whole player, though. <laughs> I, I consider us both whole players. Well, <laughs> but we, we, he's explosive in a straight line. Uh, maybe the most in this entire draft class after Isaiah Simmons just when he comes downhill, if you watch the Baylor game, the Big 12 championship game, like he flies, he covers in a blink of an eye, gets into the backfield in a hurry. So and he's great at things like that. The missed tackles, the angles, he gets a little out of control at times like he definitely does. But again, another guy who's only a junior coming out, uh, still young, like the natural talent that is definitely there. I mean, it's hard not to fall in love with a rocket coming downhill. I mean, with Ke- with Kenneth Murray, what he does with the ball in front of him when he's playing the ball in front of him is special. He has that burst. He has that explosion that like we said at the top of the podcast, that you want at off-ball linebacker now. He can explode through blocks and things like that. I think Kenneth Murray, a valuable player in this class. I think he has a very good chance, along with Patrick Queen, to sneak in to the back end of the first round. Especially because, and I, we didn't bring this up, but there aren't a ton of good off-ball linebackers in the NFL right now. Luke yeah. Keekley just retired. I'd say Bobby Wagner is easily the 
the best in the NFL right now with Luke Keekley retired. But after that, it's, it's pick and choose. There aren't, you know, Darius Leonard is obviously up there. I think you mm-hmm. could throw Joe Schober into the mix. Blake Martinez, maybe, I don't know. Like, again, off-ball linebacker is not a rich position. I wouldn't position. throw Blake Martinez, I wouldn't throw Blake Martinez <laughs> in there either. But I, I guess it's just, it's not a rich position. Like, who yeah. would you call? I mean, who would you even call, like, some of the, like, the second, third best linebacker in the NFL right now? I know. It's, I mean, so you got Bobby Wagner. I mean, Deion Jones went healthy. Uh, what's this? Levante David down Tampa Bay? I, I, maybe the Devons take a step forward next year. I don't know. But like but the Saints got the Saints yeah. player, the, the veteran. Um, I'm losing, I'm losing him right now. But he, I think he's played very well this past year. I can't think, can't remember his name off the top of my head. But he yeah, played yeah, very well this past year. But another veteran at Alpha Lime. Great but, content. But, <laughs> but, but again, but again, I will say it's not a rich position in the NFL. Demario Davis right now. Yep, Demario Davis. All right, Troy Die of Oregon comes in at 48. Very close. These three very close on PFS mm-hmm. Big Board. Patrick Queen. Kenneth Murray and Troy Dye of Oregon, a little bit of an older prospect compared to these other two, has earned very good grades over the past three years, though, an 81.1 overall grade in 2017, 80.7 in 2018, and 77.4 in 2019, all while playing over 750 defensive snaps each year. And he played this past year with a broken hand yes. and like a big boxing glove <laughs> over that hand. And I think he still had impressive production for those injuries and across such a large sample size. Yeah, and so he's, so what I talked about, Murray only going forward. You see Dye having to turn around the scene a lot, cover wheel routes, that sort of thing. He's very smooth, very long, not a, not as explosive as the guys ahead of him on this list. He does not have that level of, of athleticism. So that's a bit of a concern. That's that's the worry there. 231 pounds, but like he probably played more around 220 at Oregon. Was ve- Does look very slightly built. But I, I just love how, how smooth his hips are in coverage. Uh, he's a guy who I think can very – can cover tight ends at a high level in the NFL uh, has brings that to the table and just a very sound all around football player. So you're, you're chasing the high end with guys like queen Murray Simmons and well, Simmons has already been, you know, an elite player in his own right. So you're chasing the high end with queen and Murray. I think die, you know what you're getting. It's a solid coverage linebacker. You're never going to get Deion Jones. You're never going to get elite physical traits, but you get a guy who know more, uh, kind of like that Joe Schobert here of like he's just good at football mm-hmm. all around <laughs> and has been productive over the course of his college career. I would encourage everyone to go back and watch Troy Dye play coverage because I, I think the hip fluidity is underrated. This guy can turn around and go make a play. There's a play against Stanford, Stanford tight end that he makes great at the catch point. Another one, he makes an interception against Utah with the with big the, glove. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's kind of absurd. I think his his instincts are underrated. I think you say it again, like this guy's just a good football player, and I think that shows up in coverage. And when it shows up in coverage, it has a ton of value at that position. Because like we said, there aren't a ton of good off-ball linebackers in the NFL right now. I think Troy Dye fills a need for a lot of teams in the NFL right now. Let's jump to App State's Akeem Davis-Gaither, a guy who played more of a edge defender type of role yeah. at, at App State and, and played one well. I mean, his pass rush productivity was very good. He earned a 76.5 overall grade across 886 defensive snaps this past year. Uber athlete. I think he had to he had to eat his way to her 220 pounds or whatever he weighed in at the combine. But I think he's that lighter build that has a ton of athleticism, a ton of explosion. Still very raw, learning the position. Didn't face great competition at App State. But I think from a tool standpoint, this guy brings a lot to the table. Yeah, didn't test out the combine, but the explosiveness. Like I'm not too worried about what the testing numbers say. Like he he showed it there. He showed it at the Senior Bowl. He showed it one on one reps against you know offensive tackles. He just beating guys. Uh, with his pass rushing moves. So I, I, I don't really worry about him taking on blocks. It's just the role he played at App State is not really it, like it was. It was edge rusher, then spot drop into coverage, like very limited sort of skill set. And now he was very good like at it. But 
Yeah, that, that motion right there, the up and down. <laughs> He's very good at it, but it's like limited competition, projectable skill set. You just you worry about, you know, all of a sudden the role he's going to play in the NFL is vastly different against much better competition. So that's a little bit of a concern, uh, and he is undersized, but he has all the athleticism to make it work, and I love the way he plays the game. Like, he plays 100 miles an hour every single snap, no no plays off sort of guy. So Akeem Davis gave there right outside, you know, that top group. Feel really good about that top group of linebackers. He's probably just right outside on the outside looking at I say nay to the undersized. I like my off-ball linebackers like Akeem Davis. Appropriately sized. I think he's appropriately sized. I really do like, I mean, we were talking to him at the Senior Bowl. He said he's eating like over 6,000 calories a day to get to 220, Mm -hmm. but I like that. I mean, this guy's kind of rocked up, too. I think he did not a lot of bad weight on Akeem Davis Gaither. He's going to have to learn a ton in the NFL, but from what I've, you know, from talking to him and hearing him at the combine, I think this is a guy who's smart enough to learn at the next level, continue to develop his skill set. All right, let's jump to Willie Gay Jr., your guy. Mississippi State off-ball linebacker, 68th ranked on PFF's big board. Could rise even more I beyond that. I, I really do like Willie Gay. At the top at the top of day two, I'm strongly considering him. I don't, th- I don't see him as a day three guy. This is not a day three prospect. He brings day one talent, day one explosion yeah, with some day three off-field concerns. That's the thing. It's like he's been as high as like 30-something on our board. Like he's... He's that that's the level of talent is his first round talent. Yeah. Like if if you actually saw a full season from this guy this past year of kind of what we saw in that limited, you know, five game, five, four and a half game sample size we did see from him, I'd probably probably be in the first round. If he didn't have any off field, he would be a first round guy. But it's like the off field serious. Like you can't get suspended eight games training on chemistry test uh, and not take that into account. You can't punch your quarterback and not have that taken into account in your draft <laughs> eval. It's just uh, and, and you can't you know be as freaky as he is and only have you know and never have started like why was he not starting at yeah. Mississippi State still still a sub package guy uh, even though I don't really have too many like I like the way he p- plays the run and I saw, thought he looked a lot better in that regard this past season so yeah I mean he's a freak like he's a certified freak athlete at the linebacker position uh if Isaiah Simmons didn't exist, he'd be getting a lot more pub for how freaky his numbers were. I mean, his combine was almost better than Isaiah Simmons in some ways. I mean, he t- he tested bigger. very, very well at the combine. I want to dive into the off-field concerns a little bit, just get specific. I talked to him. He said he cheated on a chemistry test, didn't give me a ton of detail after that. I asked him why. He said it was a tough class. What do you want me to do? But then I, I talked to some other people. Apparently, he had his tutor take the test for him, which is always a bold strategy, but I would say more advanced than peeking on another person's paper or something along those lines. I like that he's learned. <sighs> Looking at other, but I, I had the take. It's like who's not going to notice this two hundred forty pound guy? Fair. I don't think he has a doppelganger. Class. You know, it's I like, don't think this guy. There's another. There's the, not another Willie Gate Jr. I, I think saying, it might be Isaiah like, Simmons. Unless <laughs> Tudor was like one of the other linebackers at Mississippi State, you're not going to get it confused. Hot take. Willie Gay Jr.'s tutor is a day three prospect in the NFL. He should have tested at the combine. But then I looked in the altercation. It was with Garrett Schrader, the the quarterback at Mississippi State. It's listed as an altercation. Some have said he punched him in the face. I'd like to see the details on that. But again, the chemistry test stuff, interesting. But if you did listen to the Move to Six podcast with Daniel Jeremiah, which he'll be on the podcast later in the show if you are listening on um, the audio version live YouTube won't get that, but on the audio version, you will get Daniel Jeremiah. Uh, but Daniel Jeremiah on the podcast did say that in the interviews with the NFL teams, Willie Gay impressed yeah. their character concerns did not come up in those interviews. It sounds like he just made a couple bad decisions, punched the wrong guy getting to his combine though, six foot one turn 43 pounds, 32 and five eighths inch arms, 10 and a half inch hands, a four, four, six, 40 yard dash, which is absurd. 
39 and a half inch vertical jump and a 136 inch broad 7083 cone. I mean, this guy really did test off the charts across 11, the board. 11-4 yeah. broad jump. <laughs> you know, we got that wrong the other day. When we, when I did. I saw, yeah. I saw that. I saw that. I'm bad at math. Here we are. Um, but yeah, Willie Gay Jr. Yeah, I mean, those are like, that's all time numbers. If, if like I said, if Isaiah Simmons didn't exist. My, my comp for him, a joking comp, was Bobby Wagner that's bad at chemistry. But I feel like the, athletically, they tested very similar. I mean, they're rare athletes, both yeah. both very similar in that regard. All right, let's jump to the next off-ball linebacker. Enough love for Willie Gay Jr. That's assuming, though, that Bobby Wagner is good at chemistry, which we don't know either. Fair. Maybe he didn't get caught cheating. Who took Bobby Wagner's chemistry test in college? I want to know. All right, Malik Harrison of Ohio State. He, he's a ways down. So Willie Gay Jr., 68th on PFS board right now. Malik Harrison, 93rd. Yeah. six foot three, 245 pounds earned an 82.6 overall grade. On tape, this guy looks like your quintessential thumper. But he shows up to the combine and tests very, very well for a guy of his size. Yeah, I think, and he was another guy who got in a limited coverage role at Ohio State. It was off in the spy in their defense. Not a lot of reps of him going backwards on tape, and that was fine. And I, I thought he was very good playing forward. And so if you don't see a guy going backwards, I didn't realize he would have that 6833 cone. Like, I didn't think, I didn't know he could turn the way he did. That's that. hot. So I just... I want to see short shuttle. Yeah, he, he didn't. Yeah, he didn't look great necessarily at the Senior Bowl. I didn't like fall in love. I didn't necessarily see all that right away. Uh, and you don't get a ton of reps there, though. Obviously, in coverage, if, in the linebacker is probably like it's less than ten the whole week. So that, that's not a great sample size to go off of. But I think with how well he plays the run, like he's one of the better run defenders at the linebacker position in this class. He can be a guy in your defense to where you know Bernard McKinney type, where Bernard McKinney is not not going to be manning up with a lot of you know slot wide receivers that sort of thing if you're going to really stick them between the tackles every single play and not have the guy like we talked about the versatile guys who can go match out in the slot if that's what his role is if you have that role in your defense i, I think Blake harris is a perfect fit for something like that yeah weighed in at the combine six foot three 247 pounds a 466 40 yard dash 36 inch broad a 10 no no 10 2 broad 36 inch vert uh and a 6833 cone that's where he really popped off having yeah. that change of direction two hundred. 47 pounds is is very impressive for Malik Harrison. Moving down the list here, Davian Taylor, who went in the first round, by the way, went in the first round of PFF's analytics mock draft, which heavily weighs athleticism score at that position. Davian Taylor projects as a very good athlete at the next level, has a track background. If you don't know the other background, I encourage you to read the draft guide or listen to this next bit here. But Davian Taylor did not play in more than one game in his high school career due to religious reasons. He was not allowed to play in athletic activities after sunset on Fridays or on the weekends. He only played in one game, and it was because the sun set a little bit later that day, and his mom let him roll. Goes to Juco, finds his way to Colorado, still very raw, but has this kind of illustrious track background, showed out as an athlete at Colorado, and now has a very good chance of getting drafted into the NFL. Yeah, so we played at Colorado a lot of like the slot uh, overhang role that mm-hmm. doesn't really exist in the NFL, but it's good for you know showcasing coverage skills, and he has that. Like he he can run with slot wide receivers up the field four four nine forty at the combine two hundred twenty eight pounds sub seven three cone like all the athleticism in the world. You see him close to the flat so quickly in the blink of an eye, like he gets up to full speed. The instinct he's still a work in progress in terms of how he how quickly he processes. If he had good instincts, this would just be stupid. Like, exactly. What are we even like, doing? Yeah. This guy learns he, faster than anyone here. Like he's he just is not necessarily like he's the whole he didn't play, you know, football in high school makes a lot of sense. Like mm-hmm. the game is a little fast for him at the moment. But he can't teach can't teach two hundred twenty eight pound runners sub four or five. Like no. that's that's sort of special <laughs> movement skills that he possesses. And you know, when he is in space and when he is like 
when it's natural reaction ability uh, sort of thing, when it's not thinking and processing, it looks good. Like he doesn't have, he doesn't have much of a missed tackle problem. Like he wraps up well in space. He looks like he plays a physical brand of football then at that point. So I think a, a scheme like the Colts, you know, some, some defense that's not asking you to do a ton of reads, that's just asking you to, hey, just react to what you're seeing. I think that's going to be the best fit for him in the NFL. All right, let's jump to Jordan Brooks of Texas Tech, who has his name spelled on Texas Tech's website. It's Jordan with a Y. Combine profile is Jordan with an A. No one will know. No one will find out. Weighed in at six foot, 240 pounds, only tested in the 40-yard dash, did a bit of a mic drop with a 454 40-yard dash. Impressive for a guy his size. Talk to me about Jordan Brooks. This dude's a rock. Two, six foot, 240 pounds, and he might be like six, seven percent body fat. Like he is. This dude is filled out to the max right there, and we talk about all these guys who are these versatile. Maybe they can play the run. Maybe they can't. This guy's going to play the run. Like four five four, he has the speed to go wide, against wide runs. He can come downhill and blow up offensive tackles. Only six foot, but has almost thirty three inch arms, which is like how you want to build a linebacker. Wow, a short guy, so he has great leverage, and then can also stack offensive linemen. So if we're talking about guys, you know. 20 years ago, this guy might be like a top five pick in the NFL. Really? With how, with how well he's like, with how explosive <laughs> he is and how well he plays the run. Like, he's a sure thing in that regard, in my opinion. Coverage is a little different story. Uh, I I would bet, you know, his three cone and shuttle aren't going to match quite that 40 time in terms of impressiveness. He is a little stiff, like he maybe is a little too muscle bound at this point with how jacked he is. But like coming downhill, anything kind of a Kenneth Murray light in terms of anything coming downhill is just going to get erased by this dude. He's he's pretty impressive in that regard. All right. Jumping to Logan Wilson of Wyoming came in at six foot two, 241 pounds, a four, six, three, 40 yard dash, a seven oh seven three cone, 32 inch vertical. I think some impressive athleticism. I also think it showed up on tape. Logan Wilson also great has improved every year of his career. He's played over you know nearly 800 snaps all three of the past three seasons or each year of the past three seasons, an 81.3 overall grade in 2017, 85.5 in 2018, all the way up to a 90.6, the fifth best off-ball linebacker in college football in 2019. Very impressed with how Logan Wilson has improved. This guy's kind of a, let's, I'll call him a Leighton Van Der Esch light. And, and so 241 pounds on the bigger side, obviously Van Der Esch was like in the 250s coming out, but like at a, as a bigger linebacker, not limited in terms of what he can do in coverage, he can is very smooth. Uh, does not look, you know, 241 pounds, but moves like a guy probably about 10 to 15 pounds lighter. Very nimble uh, and has the feel for zone coverages already. Has made a ton of plays on the football there at Wyoming. So a big fan of his game. And again, the athletic testing was good. And that was kind of the thing is I was. I wasn't sure he would be necessarily as fast as he was four six three forty though. Great time for him. Straight line like this guy. All these guys we've mentioned here, I, I would be hard-pressed to see any of them sneaking out of the third round at this point. And you wow. talk about what we hit or eight, almost 10 guys, and all in the top three rounds. That's pretty rare for a linebacker class, I think. Definitely. The linebacker class, growing. Yeah. Absolutely growing, blowing up here. All right, Cam Brown, the Penn State off-ball linebacker, who has a weird build. This guy is, is crazy. Six foot five, Tall, 233 thin. pounds, 34-inch arms. Only ran a 4.72 40-yard dash. I thought he would have tested better there, a 35-and-a-half-inch vertical jump for Cam Brown. I don't think the tape is great with Cam Brown, but he has some tools that I think are interesting mm-hmm. that teams will, will like him. And, yes, he's he played a guy who played the overhang role in Penn State's defense often. Uh, he has has played out in space, but it's not, he was not as good out in space. And the guys we've mentioned before here, like he's, he's not, doesn't not look as natural there, but uh, I think he's the length and the size profile is very 
translatable to the NFL. He's a guy, you know, you're playing the zone heavy defense, someone like, you know, the Bills, you get a guy with that sort of length and he's just going to shut down passing windows uh, purely because, you know, you don't make a lot of guys 6'5 with 34 inch arms, you know, dropping into coverage that are that have that ability. So that's what he brings to the table. Also, I, I thought he was pretty good as a blitzer. I, I thought he took on blocks when it's him versus a running back, one of the better blitzers in this draft class. So I think that's what he brings to the table. And not, again, not uh, we just didn't see special on tape, though. Didn't see a lot of high-level plays from him in coverage. All right, I'm going to loop these next, uh, lump these next two guys together here. David Woodward of Utah State and then also Marcus Baylor of Purdue because both of these guys, I think, have put good film on tape but have really struggled with injuries. I was right? going to say, and I think you can even put it Francis Bernard in here too, the Utah guy. Okay. They're all kind of like similar vein in terms of somewhat limited athletes, not exceptional athletes, uh, very productive college football players who have kind of a question mark also on top of that. Marcus Bailey has multiple ACL injuries at this point. Woodward has multiple injuries across his entire body, I'm pretty sure. He's run through a lot. Multiple injuries, and then he came to the combine, did not test well. Francis Bernard, 25 years old already, uh, had you know threatened to kill a cop sort of thing. That's not good. Threaten to kill a cop sort of thing? Do you care to elaborate? Who amongst (laughs) us hasn't been in a situation where we threatened to... Uh, That's different than a che- chemistry test. I don't actually might not have been killed. It might have been either starting to punch a cop. Okay. Is it, does it compare to what Robbie Anderson told that cop? What? Do, do you remember when Robbie Anderson like said something about a cop's wife or something? I don't want to bring it up on the podcast. It's kind of aggressive, <laughs> but go go look up Robbie Anderson cop discussion because it's discussion. also pretty fantastic. It doesn't sound like it was much of a discussion. Okay, but. so g- give me give me the skinny on okay. Woodward, Bailey, and Bernard. But all incre- like I said, all incredibly productive college football players. Uh, you just worry about well, Bailey. Like I'm not sure after a second ACL, his ever going to necessarily be the same. You know, second ACL. I think it's the same one they tore again. It's just. That's a very serious, you know, very serious injury to happen twice. Worry about whether he can even stay on the field, and then if he's going to have that same change of direction ability. Uh, Woodward is just—he's a limited athlete. You're going to have to live with that. I thought he's a good tackler out in space. I thought he was, you know, had very good instincts for the position, but instincts only get you so far in the NFL. You still have to have some level of athleticism. And what he ran a four eight at the combine, which is very that's borderline that you could even see a football field anymore in the NFL. And then Bernard, already 25 years old stubby you know little t-rex arm kind of guy uh, at the linebacker you position. hate to see that at linebacker and then not a great athlete in his own right but two guys he didn't look good at the senior bowl either i expected him to kind of have an opportunity to shine there and, and francis bernard did not rise to the occasion yeah so what was it woodward goes four seven nine and then bernard went four eight one at the combine at 234 pounds and four eights if we go back to the top of the podcast you're running in the four eights off ball linebacker when i'm looking for speed versatility and athleticism that's not cutting it for me and you're old i'm starting to get concerned exactly all right i gotta bring up the robbie anderson thing so in january of 2018 he was arrested for reckless driving resisting arrest and eluding police and threatening a public servant and he's he threatened to bang the cop's wife and i quote said nut in her eye that was the robbie anderson conversation that we did have that i was referring to had to bring that up. Had to finish. Had to tie a bow. Drop a cherry on that one. Here, let's move forward to the next off-ball linebackers, though. Shaquille Quarterman of Miami. Uh, what's your What's your take on Shaquille? Shaquille Quarterman is one of the best <laughs> blitzing off-ball linebackers in this class. Let's switch gears. He he comes downhill with the reckless abandon. Uh, it's good length. Uh, like I thought, he could have legitimately made the switch to off or to edge rusher, and that might actually be better for him than off-ball linebacker because he's not good in space. Mm-hmm. Like he's not made a lot of plays one on one with ball carriers where there's, you know, two way goes. He just doesn't have that level of athleticism. So he is he's a throwback kind of guy, which 
again, there's a role for that in the NFL. Some teams, you know, you're a man-heavy team that uses your linebackers as blitzers. This is, is one of your guys. That's not going to be every team, though. All right, jumping to Minnesota's Kamal Martin. Uh, six foot three, 235 pounds listed according to Minnesota. Didn't play a ton of snaps this past year. Only 484 defensive Got snaps. Him. Earned a 70.6 overall grade. Give me your opinion of Kamal. I expect him more this year because he's pretty athletic. He has the movement skills you want at the position. It just never, the light switch never flipped uh, with him. Was a guy who played... Uh, he played a lot of overhang early in his career, played more traditional linebacker this past year, and that's kind of why I thought you'd see a big jump from him. Uh, was going from overhang to to the middle and you know being able to being closer to the ball, making more plays on the football, and it just didn't happen. So uh, another guy who has the athleticism, but the instincts really, really aren't there with Martin at the time. Uh, only you know only eight combined pass breakups and interceptions over the course of his entire career and he's been starting for over three years now so all right this next guy has just an absurd profile an absurd build five foot eleven turned 24 pounds Kalike hudson of michigan i mean this guy's rocked up though he showed the senior bowl this guy's cut to shreds but 29 and three eighths inch arms very undersized i'd call this undersized mm-hmm. for the linebacker position ran a four five six 40 yard dash didn't even i mean break, i want you to break into the four fours if you're coming in that undersized 33 inch vertical uh 10 foot broad for Kalike hudson and i, I bring up him because i think he is one of the only players at the collegiate level since we started grading in 2014 that earned a 99.9 overall single game grade. I think mm-hmm. I remember I remember that coming up in yeah. a chat somewhere. But Kalika Hudson you know, earned a 79.2 overall grade in 2017 across 740 defensive snaps. And that's early in his Michigan career. You thought maybe he was starting to trend up, but his grade has dropped every year since then. I, I don't know what role he plays in the NFL, really. That's the thing. So he played the Viper the ooh, I think it's what they call it at Michigan. The same role that Jabril Peppers did. You say it with so much disdain, you Notre Dame home. Yeah, I have to. Uh, you played the the Viper role. <laughs> it's like a recruiting ploy to call it some dumbass name. But the Viper <laughs> role in Michigan's defense, which was slot, and so he's covering the slot a lot. But like he's not good at covering the slot. Thing. <laughs> he gave up over eighty percent eighty percent of his targets each of the past two years covering the slot. And they play a lot of man coverage in Michigan. So like. He was getting toasted. Mm-hmm. He was not good in man coverage playing the slot. So he is more of a linebacker size at, you know, six foot, 220 plus. Um, and with those, with that arm length, though, is worrisome about a guy playing in between the tackles at that size with that arm length. He really, of all the, there's a, there's a thin, thin line between versatility and tweener. Mm-hmm. He's tweener. He's a guy the who's, Sutton who's, Smith conversation. Yeah, he's like Sutton who, Smith is like, is he versatile? Can he do a lot of different things? Let's try him at fullback. Oh wait, no, he's just a tweener. <laughs> I don't just, know if he yeah. can play. And that's the thing with Hudson. He he just there's not a role for him necessarily in the NFL. I think safety, special teams is probably his best <laughs> special teams or safety. I feel like he screams special teamer to me. Yeah, because, I mean if he can, if he can put the, you know put the mindset. I think you have to have a certain mindset to be like mm-hmm. a Michael Thomas, not the New Orleans Saints receiver, but the Giants uh, like special teams ace for a long time. I think Cleveland Hudson has that opportunity. Like the Nick Ballors of the world. Yes, the Nick Ballor, your best buddy, Nick Ballor. All right, let's jump to the next uh, off ball linebacker here, Michael Pinkney of Miami, Florida, eighty four point eight overall grade in twenty eighteen. That dropped to a seventy six point five. This past year, reason for the drop off and why so low in, in this off ball So he's athletic but not explosive, and I think there's there's a kind of key difference there. Like he's and it's and sometimes some of it's play style, some of it's also just like what you got, you know, physically. But like I think in a straight line and like his hips are smooth as well. But he's not a guy who, as an undersized linebacker, I think will be able to get by because taking on blocks. Uh, his hit power, that sort of thing. You just you don't see explosiveness on his tape. 
Um, he's a late rounder at this point. I, depending on your scheme, I could like him over Shaq Quarterman, okay. his teammate there at Miami. But but depending on what you're asking him to do, and he he could probably stay on the field on third downs, and you're not going to be it's not going to be a, a nightmare scenario. Uh, but that's he's just kind of he's not an every down player in mm-hmm. my mind. All right, moving to one of my favorites in this class, not for the reason that I think he's going to be very good in the NFL, but he has one of the best post-game interviews ever. I would encourage you to go listen to Evan Weaver after they played Arizona State, is I believe what it was. Six foot two, 237 pounds, coming out of Cal, ran a 4.76 40-yard dash, which is a bit of a concern, especially at 237 pounds, a 7.02 3-cone, 32-inch vert. With him, I think you compared him to Scooby Wright in the draft guide. Yeah. I feel really good about that comparison. I also think Mark Herzlich is another guy that comes to mind. Just, like, just a high-energy guy that will dip his face in black face paint to win for the team. Gonna you know, really, Great, great in the locker room, that kind of guy. But I think in terms of actually adding value, special teams, I mean, I don't, I don't yeah, see him being no, like a very good off-ball linebacker in the NFL. I think that game has passed his skill Space is ugly. Like him playing in space. It Talk about a guy who had a bad it, senior bowl. And yeah. I, I know those drills aren't easy to win. I think those drills where you're going against a running back or a tight end in one-on-one coverage as an off-ball linebacker, you're kind of set to lose. Mm-hmm. He lost bad, though. Just the whole... Stopping and starting is ugly with him. Changing directions, like going from one direction and having to go the other, it's ugly. If he can play between the tackles, kind of play phone booth guy, play, yep. in, a, play in a porta potty guy, mm. he's, he's money. Like he, he's a, his tackling grades are good because when he gets his hands on guys, he tackles them, but he'll miss a lot of tackles where he just doesn't even touch a guy mm-hmm. because he's out in space and he just doesn't have that. Doesn't have that. The start stop. So, the juice. The, ex- the, the juice. athleticism. They, that that strength. Oh no! Speed, athleticism, it. versatility. You're not really seeing it. <laughs> he's the op. He's the opposite. <laughs> Unfortunately. All right, Clay Johnston of Baylor. Another uh, next on the list of this off ball linebackers. I'm a fan of this guy's game. Okay, uh, Clay Johnston, a little undersized guy, but uh, I thought he played well between the tackles. Old, on the older side, already a redshirt senior, but had himself a monster year this past year. 90.2 run defense grade. Small amount of snaps, but... O- only, uh, yeah. So I, I think he's... I, I think he has what it takes. If you're drafting a day three linebacker, I think he has what it takes to become you know a three-down guy in your defense. Gotcha. Now, I'm not saying he's necessarily going to be, and he is on the smaller side, doesn't have great length, that sort of thing. There are limitations to his game, but I think he has the straight line speed. Uh, has the physicality to play between the tackles. But again, the in- injury this past season um, and the years prior to this didn't look, you know, didn't grade out nearly as well. But I, there's something there uh, with Clay Johnston. All right, next guy here, potential sleeper, in my opinion, Dante Olsen of, Min- of not Minnesota, Montana. <laughs> Montana, the Grizzlies, the Grizz, if you will. His grade has improved every year of his career at Montana. Only played 224 defensive snaps in 2018, but it was a 74.4 overall grade. 987 defensive snaps this past year and 86.1 overall grade did not miss a ton of tackles small school guy not going to get coveted for that reason but there are some tools to work off here he had a 42 inch vertical at the combine <laughs> and ran a 488.40 it doesn't make sense that seems impossible to me that you can be that explosive like his start had to have been atrocious did he did he like maybe do he a just bear jumped. call to start maybe i don't he know jumped uh he, he physically can't do anything without jumping i, I don't know 488 is just awful though and, and he's really i mean you watch his tape he's not fast it, that's what shows up in space uh it's not great but between the tackles he's pretty sweet like he, he's great at taking on blocks he can play really low and he consistently dips underneath blocks to make plays he's got a sweet really goatee. sound tackler yeah he's got a nice goatee but he's he's 
a 42 inch vert and 124 inch broad like that those and he has seven second three cone i mean those, those are very that's an interesting combine it's a very interesting combine it's for one of, an one of the it's a unique combine that i've really never seen anything close to what is he, i don't know what to say about it honestly i think he, the pro day will be interesting like how close are those numbers to at his pro day if he does retest i doubt he jumps again but maybe another 40 yeah. yard dash makes this thing a little bit more sense all right last off ball linebacker before we cut to the interview with daniel jeremiah at the end of the podcast here is, is michael divinity of lsu I, I don't see it with divinity i, I don't know what coach o was doing mm-hmm. throwing him over patrick queen i, I at off ball linebacker or at edge I, I was not super high in him heading into this year and when they did say you know he's switching to edge i was like okay that's actually probably you're switching from edge to off ball i thought that was a good move for him did not look like a natural fit at off ball linebacker still looked very limited in coverage and then he ran a four eight four combine he just he reminds me of um, Eric Stryker coming out of Oklahoma where it was undersized. Everyone knew he had to move off ball. And then Eric Stryker ran like a four nine. And it's just like, you never heard from him again. That seems like <laughs> unfortunate. That seems like divinity's career path here. All right. So. That's going to do it for the live broadcast here on YouTube. But if you are listening on the audio version, you're going to hear next a interview with Daniel Jeremiah of NFL. We found out that he you are, you should go, Go do it. It's yes, you should definitely interview. you should definitely go listen on the audio version of this podcast. But th- it was fantastic. Daniel Jeremiah was fantastic. Really do like what he did there. I mean, it, it, he said Danny. His grandma used to call him Danny. He hated it. We kind of joked with him there. The, the interview was good. But that's going to do it for the live version. Thanks again. It's been Ostagale, Mike Renner, 2 for 1 Drafts. Joining the two for one drafts podcast is NFL's Daniel Jeremiah. DJ, everyone calls you DJ, though. Can we call you DJ? Yeah, absolutely. Man. Right, the, uh, the only the only one that has a different like my grandmother uh, used to call me Danny, which I was never really fond of. But uh, uh, DJ and Daniel, I'm good either way. I'm calling you Danny the rest of the podcast now. I got to join your grandma on forces here. <laughs> <laughs> Any anytime I do something you don't agree with, now you just you're like yeah, nice, nice, nice ranking. There, Great Danny. take, nice Danny. Draft, Danny. <laughs> I, I still feel like I refer to you though, and my head is like move the sticks because way back in the day, my brother. Uh, I remember my brother, I was in college. I was like sophomore in college. My brother showed me uh, your Twitter account. And he's like, there's this former scout on Twitter talking about, you know, Aaron Rodgers or whatever. And he's like, you should check him out, move the sticks. And so that one's always stuck with me. And I kind of, the first question I wanted to ask was what was like, what was going through? What was your plan when you first started on Twitter? I think it was back in like 08, 09. Well, I think when you first started, what was like, what, what did you think was going to happen with that whole foray into the public uh, sphere? Well, it was crazy um, because I had, uh, I'll kind of give you some backstory here. So I had worked for ESPN for two years right out of college on the production side. So I was a, I was on the Sunday night football crew and I was a spotter up in the booth and I helped, uh, I was an ENG producer, meaning I just went around with a couple camera guys and we shot scenics the days before the game. So kind of a way to kind of get into that that world and my connection to that world was Chris Mortensen who's been a family friend for a long time um, so going through that period and then I end up uh, I end up running to my brother's college roommate my brother played at Liberty University and his college roommate was a scout with the Ravens so then I go into scouting uh, he encouraged me to go into scouting to so take a job at going to scouting with the Ravens then I'm with uh, for four years I go to the Browns take a promotion there and then after two years they let the whole group go so I had 18 months left on my contract and I had a choice of, uh, you know, I had some job offers inside the league or I could try and, you know, sit out for a year um, and explore the media thing. And so I thought, you know, I'll give this media thing a shot. I've always wanted to do that. 
And Chris Mortensen encouraged me to get a Twitter page. I knew nothing about it. It's like brand new. <laughs> yeah. So I, know, I have no expect, no, no expect. I don't even know what this is. I don't know what it is. I'm like, well, I got to get a name. And uh, I think my name like was taken or something. Like I couldn't, like Daniel Jeremiah was there. So I'm like, well, I got to think. I kind of explored on the app and I'm like, okay, well, so I got to think of something like catchy or creative that people will recognize. So I came up with Move the Sticks, which is basically from my old boss, Phil Savage. Um, he used to always, when we'd have scouting meetings, he would always tell us, you know, the key is you guys can appreciate when you're trying to wrap your arms around so many players over the course of a year. He said the key is just, you know, continue to advance the ball every day. Don't worry about touchdowns. Just worry about first downs. It's a little bit every day, and eventually you get there. So I used that and kind of shortened that down to move the stick. So I create this thing. I mean, nobody's going to follow me. Nobody knows who I am. So, and uh, I, I, Mort had told me, you know, just tweet out some scouting stuff. Like there'll be some people that like fantasy football, but maybe we'll get in on that. So I, I, I don't think anything. I go on vacation. I'm with my family on a cruise ship in Alaska. And I go to the internet cafe to check my email for like the first time in three days. And I had like 1,500 messages <laughs> saying like, you know, new follower, new follower. I was like, whoa, like what is going on? I, I'm try- I didn't know what happened. And I scroll, I finally see an email from Mort that says, hey, I just encourage people to follow you on Twitter. How about you tweet something? <laughs> oh, <laughs> like, man. Okay. <laughs> and that's, uh, that's, how, that's how it grew. That's how it started. And it kind of grew from there. That was probably that was probably my brother and I. We're probably one of those people. He, he was like, "You got to follow this guy," and he was showing me his old tweets that he would ask you questions at back in like 2010 about the Packers because we were diehard Packers fans. But he said oh, he told great. me this today that I didn't actually remember, but he said he used to refer to people on Twitter as your tribe, as the tribe. And I don't. Yes. And it, where did that start? Where did that come from? <laughs> I Why didn't did you know stop? Why did you stop doing this? this? Yeah, I know. So this is a true story. So. I, I, you know, I'm out of the scouting thing at this time and I'm trying to build a following. And so I do some homework and I'm like, okay, like, how do you grow a following? Like, I don't even know how to get people to, you know, it's like you're collecting this group. So there's a book called tribes by Seth Godin. And, uh, I read it and I thought, man, this guy's really onto something, how it's creating kind of a community instead of just one way communication. Like if you can have topics of conversation and use like your tweets, almost like a message board, like here's a tweet and it's, you know, it's it's a it's a discussion point, and so then not only are you communicating with the people that are following you, what what inevitably happens is they, they start communicating with each other underneath your tweets, and it's it's like Twitter one hundred and one, right? We see it every day when you have to tweet something out, and then people fight it out in the mentions. You know? <laughs> so it's kind of uh, that's that's why I came up with that you know tribe. You talked about kind of building your tribe, so I did that I did that for for quite some time, and then. It became pretty mainstream where everybody was 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 calling that. I'm like, now it's like I'm like a president of some tribe. I'm like, I'm like think that. So I'll chief. Go ahead. Yeah, I'll go back off. Yeah, I was a chief. Yeah, hell, I should use the right reference there. Uh, I didn't view myself in that light, so I was like, I'll back off. That is fantastic. I'd like to say Mike and his brother were original members of the tribe. It yeah. sounds like it, if, at least. I maybe it was a little bit yeah. younger, but uh, that's awesome. I, I'd love to kind of pivot this next question to talk about your evaluation process. I'm sure it's developed a lot since you were a scout with the Ravens, Browns, etc. But now that you are in the role that you are now, what is your process going through these players, maybe specific scouting reports and things like that? I'd love to hear like how you actually evaluate these players, what steps you go through. Yeah, no, it's interesting. It's something that hopefully gets better with the process and evolves and grows every year. Uh, and truthfully, uh, and I've, I've told you guys this on the side, but you know, being able to incorporate the PFF Ultimate 
with NFL Vision, which is the which is the program I used to watch all the tape um, to be able to sort different different things, you know, more than I ever have in the past. I've had some basic capabilities in that regard, but uh, this year it's made it uh, it's made it really cool to be able to do some different projects. But the way I kind of I've, I've got to it because the first the first couple years in media. You know, you'd finish the season because we're still covering the NFL during the season, and then I would transition into the draft. And I wasn't on the main, I wasn't on the main desk uh, during those couple, first couple of years, so I was off on a side desk. And so I was going to be able to chime in on players here or there, but wasn't going to be responsible for the whole draft class. So I would, you know, my goal at that time was, you know, 150 to 200 players, and I was doing it exactly like I would do it at Scout, which was you know, try and get four games in on those guys and, uh, and study those guys, have all my notes in my notebook. Um, and then I would translate those into an Excel sheet. And so I would just have the name, you know, the, the height, weight, speed, and then uh, my grade. And then and I would use kind of abbreviated uh, sentences and just kind of get some nuggets on each player. So when he was, you know, if he was picked, if I was called upon, I could kind of give my little thumbnail scouting report inside that Excel sheet. Uh, had to write up the top 50, which was, you know, which I still do now, which those reports get, get published on NFL.com, but the rest of it is all in this Excel sheet. Well, then, you know, you start moving up to the main desk and you start being, you know, hey, this draft's going a lot deeper. I want to be able to comment on our players. So I go from, you know, watching 150 to maybe 200 players to doubling that to where I'm over 400 players. Oh, wow. Um, getting ready. So I'm like, there's no, there's just not enough time for me to go through and do four games on 400 players. I like guess it's, it's yeah. not going to happen. So what I, what I've done is through, you know, I'll get through like the first two games. And if I deem that player at that point in time to not be, you know, for lack of a, 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 a better phrase would be like, if he's, you know, sixth round would probably be that cutoff, fifth, sixth round. If he's not better than a fifth or sixth round player, I'm, I'm putting him to bed. I've got two tapes on him. Now, if he blows up the combine, I'll come back and revisit him, and I'll do more work on him. Interesting. But those late, you know, those late guys, I'm giving him two two cracks at it, and then I almost kind of look at it like they've got to earn their third tape. And then, then once we get into the better players, um, now, now we can go anywhere from you know the quarterbacks. I'm gonna try and get through all their games um, for the top guys, and you know at least I'm getting through eight or nine games. And then you know the other guys that are in your top. You know, 150 players, 200 players, you're getting at least that, you know, three to four names in on those guys. So trying to spend more time on the guys we're going to really talk about because in the draft, once we get to day three and a later portion of day three, we're interviewing coaches. You know, we're, you know, we're talking big picture. We're going to go lots of picks where I won't necessarily get to chime in on each and every one. Um, so it just made more sense to pour more of my time into those top 150 to 200 players while also being able to speak about. Uh, those guys that are that are picked there later in the draft. Plus, like the guys later in the draft, like sometimes there's not positives, you know, to say about these guys. You, you gotta, and you try to have to probably skew positive on NFL, you know, media. You can't necessarily just bash a guy in the seventh round. So that makes <laughs> probably makes sense. Bashing late day three picks, Mike. It's not something Daniel's into right <laughs> yeah. now. But um, yeah. Yeah. I would I'd love yeah. to. I would love to even know more too. I was listening to the Move the Six podcast, and, and I know you, you and Bucky both factor in a ton of background information. You do have a, a good amount of access. I'd like to yeah. say with NFL media, being able to talk to coaches, other scouts, and players, and things like that, to really heavily you know, infuse background information and character type of stuff into your reports. How does that process? Cause you watch the games, you earn that third tape, you become this four tape type of player on, on your board. And then how do you go back and kind of comb through and, and factor in some of this background and character stuff? 
Yeah, you know, it's it's difficult because you're still, even though you have relationships, you can get a lot of information. You can't get the, the same uh, type of information you could if you're inside a building uh, with those teams. But, you know, I, I'll give you an example. The quarterback that I was doing work on before the combine, um, you know, so I watch, I get my four four games done before the combine on him. I uh, I talked to a coach that was, you know, that was on his staff where he played. He gives me a lot of good information. I talked to two coaches that are in his conference that coached against him. So, you know, give me the challenges of coaching against this guy. What did you think? How did he deal with different looks you gave him, different things like that? So you get that perspective. Um, and then you go through, you know, before they work out, I've talked to three or four teams that have visited with him in the interview process as you go into the combine. So that, to me, I feel like I've got a pretty holistic view of this kid from inside the program, outside, within the conference, and then what he's, you know, the impression he's left with teams. So the personal choice that I make is that I'm just never going to, I'm never going to air dirty laundry on these kids. Mm -hmm. It's just not what I just, I don't feel right about it. I'm not going to do it. So sometimes I'll have guys that might move on my list and people will go like, what, no, what happened? Well, I'm not going to tell you that, you know, his interviews are terrible. He struggled to learn. Um, There's a couple incidents at the school that haven't been reported that that concern me. Like those types of things happen and there'll be movement on my list, but I'm never going to air that kid out like that. Um, in, in my role, I know other people. I know other people that you know post that stuff, and I'm not saying it's right or wrong. Just for me personally, I just uh, I just didn't feel right about doing that. So uh, it can it can impact my ratings, but I'm never gonna throw that stuff out there. Gotcha. All right. Speaking of movement on your big board, you have we're looking through your top 50 today, which I recommend anyone go check out. A lot of interesting nuggets here, but our, the first big sort of difference from your board to ours here at PFF comes at number 14, Justin Jefferson, the LSU wide receiver. And one of the biggest reasons we're low on him is because a lot of his slot production was sort of, we, we believe it was kind of schemed in that LSU offense and he hasn't faced a ton of press coverage. And I know make Mike Mayock came out and said that, you know, one of the most important things for a college wide receiver translating to the NFL is how they deal with press coverage. Uh, and so what are your thoughts, I guess, on kind of the twofold thing about Justin Jefferson as a prospect, why you're so high on him, number 14 overall, and how important is, you know, facing press coverage when translating to the league? Sure. Uh, you know, one thing I would say about that's interesting is, you know, Jerry Judy's got a counterproduction side there in the slot, too. So you hear some of those, you know, obviously, Jerry, we've seen him with his releases, how explosive and how dynamic he is. So, you know, you're not as concerned about that. But with guys like this, um, it helps when you have, you know, you kind of have guys that they remind you of in, in past and how they've moved and their movement skills. And to me, Keenan Allen and him have similar movement skills, uh, what they can do at the top of the route. And I look at guys that haven't faced a ton of press coverage and you've got to beat it with your feet or your hands, right? You've got to be, you got to be able to be quick enough to beat them with your feet. You've got to be strong enough uh, to beat them with your hands. Now, you got to at least be one or the other. I think this kid can do both. I think he's got play strength. And I think he does have enough foot quickness that he'll be able to get out there uh, and, and get free off the line. So that doesn't really worry me. I think he's a real loose athlete. Uh, I just think this kid has an unbelievable feel for getting up on the toes of corners, and then he can separate at the top of his route, which to me is, is kind of the way the game's played. So I, I would keep him in the slot. That's where I would put him. Um, I watch, you know, doing those Charger games, seeing Keenan Allen each and every week and the damage he does in there. 
uh, I think this kid is going to do a lot of the same things. Yeah, and I, I think a quote that comes to mind is something that I read from Matt LaFleur saying with his slot receivers, they need to be smart. They need to understand how to run choice routes and find holes and zones. And with Justin Jefferson, he's up there with the best in, that cl- in the class yeah. with doing that. And maybe he doesn't have the movement skills of CeeDee Lamb and Jerry Judy, but what he does bring to the table is that wit, is that stuff between the ears in addition to the loose hips like you kind of referenced. I think Justin Jefferson does bring a lot of that to the table. Another thing I want to mention and bring up to you, looking at your board, you have you know George's DeAndre Swift at number 16, Clyde Edwards Hilaire of LSU at 30. Where are you right now with drafting running backs in the first round and, and even better evaluating running backs as these first round caliber players? Because here at PFF, position of value is so important for us and we kind of see more and more that the running back position becoming more replaceable, more of a day two type of position. Where are you right now with you know kind of valuing running backs as first round talents? Yeah, I think it's a fascinating discussion and I, I'm always going to say, look, I get in terms of the importance of the position. Um, if there is a player with a similar grade, I'm going to take, you know, every day of the week, if you have a need at a tackle, you know, offensive tackle, edge rusher, corner, um, obviously quarterback, all those, all those positions, if it's close, are going to be rated and going to be selected ahead of running backs. The way I look at it is at some point in time, you're just a better football player, a much better football player than the other options that I have. And I'm not against taking a running back in the first round, provided you have some of those other pillars in place. You know, if you've got your quarterback, you've got your edge rusher, um, you've got your tackle or your tackles offensively, and this player's there, um, it's a four- or five-year commitment for me. I'm not into re-signing these guys in terms of big money deals on second contract. That's why I'm with a lot of folks on the running back thing. But I do think there is value. If you have a team that's ready to win – to be able to assert that running back so he's not wasting carries on bad teams. But when you can drop him in and you can get elite production out of him for four or five years, I do think there's there's still value for them there as a first-round pick. My my issue would be more so with whether or not you're going to pay these guys an exorbitant amount of money uh, on their second contract. Yeah, running backs also, like, they peak quickly. You know, yeah. year two, year three, they are at their top, so... Uh, we want to get into some more of the guys that you might be lower on here. Yeah, we're going to call this segment. We're going to call this segment Danny's takes. Actually, <laughs> the the guys that you're lower on than maybe compared to what PFF has. I'm going I'm to bring up three names and we'll kind of take one each individually. Yep. But Julian Aquara, the edge defender of Notre Dame, he is high on our board right now. Not inside your top fifty. Also, Jalen Rager on that list and Jordan Elliott of Missouri. Let's start with Aquara, though. I think specifically, I know Mikey wanted to bring this up. Julian Aquara, the edge defender of Notre Dame, is an athletic freak. Bruce Feldman's freaks list type of guy, and but he's not getting the same hype as Caleb on Chason, who's another guy that has similar is going to have. I don't. I know he didn't test the combine, but going to have similar athletic ability. Compare those two players for me, Aquara and Chason, and maybe why Aquara is a tier below Chason. Sure, uh, to me, Aquara, and I like a lot of things about him. You know, standing him up on the edge, he's got he's got big punches. He flashes. He flashes a little bit of power. But I thought overall play strength was not good. He gets tossed and thrown around at the point of attack too often for me. That I, I worried about that a little bit. And he plays really upright and high. Um, so to me, I didn't see when you compare him with Chason. Chason's got more snap, more power, and more twitch in, in his hands. Um, I think both guys can get off the ball. I think Chason plays with with, uh, with better leverage. Um, so that to me was a little bit of the difference there between those two. I just think you get a little bit more. You get a more more explosive, more more physical player uh, with Chase on. I, I 
I, I see the production. I get all that with Okwara. Um, but I was just, when I finished watching him, and maybe some of it was some of the hype I had heard about him, I just wanted to see a little bit more power, a little more strength than not seeing him get ragdolled and thrown around quite as much. You're breaking Mike's heart right now. A former former Golden Domer, (laughs) a Notre Dame alum. You should have seen Mike with Brady Quinn at the Combine, by the way. It was honestly absurd. These two just Uh, chopping it up. Talking about intramural basketball at a certain point, it was absurd. I will say, Aquara, though, the inconsistency is worrisome because he does play high. And like you'll see the flashes. Like he is bull rush like Mekhi Becton. You bull rush Isaiah Wilson. Like those guys are 100 pounds heavier than him. So you see the flashes but why it doesn't happen every play is kind of this the scary part with aqua i will say let's jump to jalen rager where are you with him right now yeah rager so rager is an interesting one he he was just kind of on the verge of my top 50 i thought for sure he was going to run in the four threes i was kind of shocked yeah you know it's it's crazy right it's the way he runs like four four seven or something like that yeah, we think we put on. Uh, we, we think he put on bad weight. I mean, because I mean, we thought he was a. Yeah. we thought he, he was a out. four threes guy. He got out. He couldn't maintain it. Yeah, and I had talked to the folks. You know, I had talked to the folks who had been training him, and said that when he came in there, he was he was already running. You know, low four four, high four three, like early on in the training process, which normally those guys get faster. Um, so I was shocked he ran four four seven. I, I do agree. I thought he was carrying a little bit extra weight. I thought his start was good. He just didn't maintain it. Mm-hmm. Um, to me, I just the drops, and you can you guys will have the drop percentage in front of you. I'm sure the drop percentage was pretty high with him. Um, that was a little bit of a concern there. He, he's somebody that can beat press with quicks. Um, I like the fact you can use him on the fly sweep stuff, double moves. He's elusive after the catch. He wins over the top. Um, but to me, the only issue I had was just I wanted to be a little bit more consistent with his hands. So when I get somebody that's not six feet tall that, that has some drops. Um, you know, that puts him right outside my 50. He's the third receiver that's outside my 50, if that makes any sense. So I have Hamler mm-hmm. and Hamler and Michael Pittman are the two that are just ahead of him outside my 50. Then he's right there. Michael Pittman, sure. talk about a guy who has the opposite of that problem. He's got some hands on him. I think he only has three drops in his entire career at USC. That guy's got some stupid yeah, hands. Rager, 16 drops on 163 catchable, which is like around 10%, yeah. which is borderline. That's it. All right. Last, so what, last, is that, what is that? What is that? What is that? What is that? What is drop percentage? I'm just curious. Just under 10%. Oh. So it's like 9.8 or something. Yeah. Like and that, we, we is, always say yeah. when you get a, like above that nine and a half around into 10. the 10% it's, range is when it does become a concern, yeah. something that you'll see kind of translate to the NFL. Last guy on the Danny's takes here is Jordan Elliott. We see this guy as a first-round player. The Missouri defensive tackle, he's, he earned very high grades for us this past year, was the highest-grade defensive tackle in college football. I know I know, Bucky has had him in his top five defensive tackles, not in your yep. top 50. Where are you with Jordan Elliott? He's, so he's my top defensive tackle outside of my 50. Nice. So he'll be, when, when my list comes out, he'll be between 50 and 60. Um, look, the stuff I like about him, you'll see some long arm. You'll see some of that power with that. He's really good on games. Um, he's got a nice swim move. Uh, I like him, you know, being able to stack single blocks. It's fine there. I just, to me, against doubles, he got destroyed. Yeah. And the biggest thing for me was just effort. I just wanted to see a little more consistent effort. And that's what me and Bucky disagree on that. I think he, he, he feels he plays really hard. Um, I didn't. I did not see all out, you know, balls to the wall effort. So that's that's one of the reasons they kept him out of my top fifty. Uh, that being said, I mean, I have a good grade on him. It's uh, he's a second round player to me. Mm-hmm. All right, final question here, guys. In this class, one or two names that maybe maybe aren't getting top five, top ten love, but you would stand on a table and say, "We need this guy in our locker room. He's the real deal." 
Ooh, that's a good one. I, to me, I'm give me like the ultra, ultra tough competitive guys. And so like Brandon Ayuk from Arizona State, that, that bolt for me. Okay. Like what he does with the ball in his hands, just refusing to be tackled. Um, he's just so competitive. He's so tough. Um, he has return value, which has always been a great sign for these wideouts. You know, when you've got some some history there, it kind of uh, foretells what you can do after the catch. So he'd be one uh, that I'm a big fan of, that I'm really high on. Um, trying to think of other guys kind of outside that top range that would be interesting. I'm a Ross Blacklock guy. Oh yeah, I, I, I look. I know the Achilles. Yeah, I, I know he has the Achilles, but uh, you know, from 18. But man, he's he's twitched up. It was you funny. Had Achilles, I think right? I told that story. Or no, yeah, no, I, yeah, yeah, so, yeah, I have not returned to Ross Blacklock form yet, so uh, I'm still <laughs> yeah. waiting on that. It's only been like five years. I'm hoping about five years from now I'll be uh, I'll be feeling better. Uh, but he was a funny one because I just hadn't heard any like a lot of buzz about him, uh, and so when I watched him, I just had no expectations. And I was like, you're kind of going through this list of D tackles, and I, this guy just jumped off the screen. I was like, whoa, this dude's dynamic. Like uh, he's got some serious twitch and power and just jolts dudes. TCU so I, finds I those guys, though. TCU finds those guys. Ben Banigou, Blacklock, Jeff Gladney's a pretty good athlete. I mean, Rager. I mean, they, they find some athletes at TCU. And they're tough. Like, that's the Gary Patterson program. Like, all those kids are tough. Uh, Gladney, yeah, he's, he's, a, he's another one that I really, really like, man. But but the uh, the thing on Blacklock, so I tweeted out a couple of videos, and then uh, I said, I'm like, I'd like to nominate my you know myself to run for president of the Ross Blacklock <laughs> fan club. And within like uh, within I don't know five minutes, I get a text from an NFL head coach with my tweet attached, and he wrote underneath that you're too late. Oh and no! So I just I thought that was pretty funny. Like he's got he's got he's got a sponsor out there. So if he gets picked by that team, I'll out him and I'll say who it was that he sent me that. Mm-hmm. Um, but no, he's 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 a really good player. And like we we talk about him on Twitter all the time. But the little corner from uh, uh, from La Tech is just so fun to watch. He's yeah. just Oh, he's got such good ball skills, and he's just so tough. And the, I think it's like one of the first plays of the Texas game. He just jumps Colin Johnson, and he looks like David versus Goliath. Man. <laughs> he jumps him at the line of scrimmage, and I was like, "Whoa!" Like this dude's got—he's got a little edge to him. So, and he's I graded he really, really well for us. Four five. Yeah. Robertson graded yeah, really, really well gonna, for us. He, he's probably going to run in the four fives. You know, I hope he runs. I hope he doesn't run the four sixes. But the production, yeah, I can see how you guys would would love the production. Get like what fourteen career picks or something like yeah. that. Kind of four completions. He just pulled. He he pulls the trigger. Like I was in Baltimore when we had a guy, Jim Leonard. who was you know what is he? He's the uh, he at Wisconsin. I think it's the DC at Wisconsin. Yeah, now. But he was that same type of just undersized bulldog. Like just the you know you just want one of those guys on your team. So, uh, yeah, he's, he's one I'm a fan of. Jim Leonard won the Wisconsin dunk contest back in the day. Really? Fly. Yeah. Oh, wow. I didn't know that. Fantastic stuff, DJ. We well, really, yeah. uh, Jim I, Leonard. I didn't hear that one. You got to, you got to tell me that. Oh, Jim Leonard won the Wisconsin dunk contest back in the day. Yeah. Five, eight. Oh, I didn't know nugget. that. Yeah. Wow. Incredible. Well, really appreciate you coming on <laughs> DJ. This, this has been fantastic. Really appreciate you coming on two for one drafts. We're going to have to get you on either closer to the draft or soon after. Cause we need more of these takes. Really appreciate it. Uh, you guys do a great job, man. It's uh, it's uh, it's such a it's such a cool service that you guys provide, and uh, it's been really really helpful for me. And um, look forward to keeping up this relationship and talking to you guys down the road. Absolutely appreciate, appreciate the kind words.
Impressive, impressive stuff from Daniel Jeremiah. It was great to have him on. Finally have him on the podcast. If you're impressed, like that's DJ all the time. Like the dude's a pro's pro. Uh, I, I thought the the backstories were very interesting yes. about how he got in and the tribe in the early days of Twitter. Because <laughs> I remember, you know, being on Twitter back then. I remember, you know, wake up every morning in college. First thing I do is check Twitter before you go to bed. Last thing you do is check Twitter. Yeah. And like following. You still do that. What are you following, talking like, about? <laughs> yeah, probably still do that. But and just like. It was so different in my mind, you know, Twitter back then, just mm-hmm. like the way interactions were and RTs and that sort of like, it was just such a different atmosphere. And it really was like, you mentioned like a tribe, like he probably had, you know, five to 10,000 followers. And that felt like a lot of people. Wow. You know, back then. Yeah. Which is, yeah. I, I, I thought wild his west. takes on the running backs too. Like he was saying, you know, obviously he doesn't, you know, he's still in the position to draft a running back in the first round, but he was saying some of these guys are just better football players than the other players available. I think, he maybe has room to grow factoring in <laughs> positional value. I don't know. I think positional value, I think if you look at all the way on the far right of positional value, you get the analytics mock draft where there's not a single interior defensive lineman, no interior offensive lineman drafting the first round, no running backs, obviously. That's where you get. But I think there is this sweet spot maybe between where you are and where George and Eric are with positional value where you aren't taking certain positions, regardless of how good this football player is in the first round. See, and a lot of their takes, a lot of the analytics takes are based off of, you know, less than optimal decision-making at the NFL level. Like uh, drafting a running back in the first round makes you give them more carries. Well, and makes you, uh, you know, want to feature them more. Well, you can draft a running back who's, you know, has a diverse, you can draft a DeAndre Swift, Georgia running back, Mm -hmm. and utilize him in a role that's actually valuable in terms of throwing him the ball down the football field, getting him matched up, using him as a matchup weapon because of how good he is as a receiver. I was impressed that DJ did have DeAndre Swift and Clyde Edwards-Hilaire as these two, like, top 30 picks because those guys are going to offer the most of any running backs in this class as receivers. Yes, And, and so... That that to me was interesting. It's like it's a part of the conversation that I think gets lost on the analytics side of things because most teams that are going to draft a running back are going to use them like Zeke Elliott and mm-hmm. just feed them, between, yeah. feed them, you know, uh, and try to do this run heavy offense when that's not going to be in your best interest. But I do think it, it's one of you know five positions you can throw to. Did DJ player, bring Aquara down for you? Did he bring him down for you? I don't know. No. <laughs> I'm staying Never. with it. I go. He's higher now on my board. Oh, wow. I, Here I, we I go. Doubling down. <laughs> you just love to see it. Well, uh, really appreciate you guys listening to the two for one drafts podcast, the Dan Jeremiah interview and the off ball linebacker interview. Tune in next time for two for one drafts.